Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, and today we have the sexy, the handsome, (laughs) the awesome Dr. Ross. Do you know what? I mean, I'm jealous of you because, you know... You're bloody handsome, mate. And, you know, oh, us, us old biddies, do you know what I mean? I've lost my hair. I'm grey all over. I've got, you know, a bit of pounds down there below. I mean, as in, like, lower belly sort of thing, not not sort of other places. Um, but, hey, you know, jealousy is a bad uh, spiritual trait. True. Well, I, I feel like it, by, I, sh- I should deserve to have less hair. Uh, when I look at a lot of my peers, they're they're balding and stuff. I, I think I'm doing all right for 31. I've still got a good full body of hair and everything. So you know. So what's the secret but, to it? To you know, nice nice pair of uh, <laughs> sort of you know hair on top of your head. You know, what's the secret? I don't know. To it's, that? it's in the genes, isn't it? Is it is it not in your your mother's paternal lineage, or is that is that more a, a, an old wife's tale? I'm not sure. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I I. I, I rarely get stressed these days i mean i guess stress has a certain amount to do with it doesn't it but yeah yeah when was the last time you were really stressed oh i mean you know i mean i'm talking about work here not sort of relationship because i know you have i mean i mean i heard that you've got a really nice swedish girlfriend which will come to that at some stage yes yes indeed it was it's probably not actually that long ago it was probably two days ago i was pretty stressed at work um, speaking with a, a patient and trying to manage expectations and the the sort of challenges for that in a in a COVID world where she you know quite benign symptom but wasn't happy that we hadn't uh, explored what it was and I'm, I feel like coming with the emergency doctor mindset that I, you know the rotation I was just in you know having that spiel of saying well we know what it isn't. And the, the things that it isn't are the, you know, some really serious things. So we'll see how it goes. But that wasn't a, enough for her. Uh, so trying to stay calm and say it's difficult to know where to take this further, this, this non-specific symptom. But, and trying to juggle not wanting a patient complaint, which is something that, you know, all the GPs particularly seem to be very uh, stressed out about often. So, yeah, I mean, complaints are um, not great, um, but it, but you've got to receive them uh, on a regular basis, I think, and also deal mm-hmm. with them because it just allows you to to change your management appropriately. And I mean, as long as you don't take it personally, you know, when I used to get complaints and I used to get really upset about it is when I took it internally and, and considered it part of me rather than part yeah. of, you know, my profession. And the work yeah, that I do. I mean, I've been lucky or or perhaps unlucky, I don't know how to, to say it, but I've, I've not had a complaint. Mm. But uh, yeah, I would wonder 
even know thinking I'm, I'm got some skin not completely thick skinned but mm. in, in being able to react in a in a really kind of detached way and not take it personally because yeah that would be a, a real uh, test of character I feel yeah I mean definitely I mean I had um, um, a bit of an issue at work a uh, personality clash issue um, and that happened to be a relative can you believe that I work with relatives mm. in the oh, right. sphere okay. yeah yeah um, and because that I took it personally dimension for sure yeah yeah, because I took it personally, and you take it personally when it's someone that that's um, that's related to you and sort of closely related to you. Um, so I took it personally from that side, which hurt me a lot, and that caused a lot of emotional distress for me. But when I thought about it, you know, this is a professional sphere, you know, it's not a personal sphere. But I mixed mm -hmm. the personal with the professional, and that caused a lot of distress for me. But once I separated yeah. that, I separated the personal from the professional it became very, very understandable, you know, why they reacted that way. Yeah. Very understandable. Uh -huh. Right. So, yeah. you know, uh, but then, you know, when we start medical school, we're kind of fed this narrative that this is who you are. You know, this is your persona. You know, Absolutely. going back to sort yeah. of yeah. depth psychology, you know, we're made of different personas, but we're sort of fed this narrative that the medical persona is the most important persona that you have to develop as a yeah. human being. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I think, yeah, I think from day one, they're trying to separate you off as, as having a different uh, persona from the average Joe blogs. And I think the the first kind of real exposure to that is when you have your first cadaver. Uh, and that it's really a test of your, you know, they, they, they introduce it as your first patient, which I think is kind of pretty macabre and stuff but actually it's to try and see if you're made of the the strong stuff you know and and it's kind of it's you know uh, you, you never forget that moment when you go into that room and you see what maybe nine cadavers just out on tables and how it's so normalized and there's some you know as a, as a fresh out of school 18 year old trying to you know think about what this means and trying to detach that humanity from these patients it's it's a bit of a, a mind f you know yeah yeah mind fuck, <laughs> so, definitely yeah 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 and and sort of how did you unfuck your mind so to speak uh i think it was at all points trying to forget that they were human in the first place wow so I, I didn't like to be reminded of the fact that they were a, a living thing at one point. So, you know, if I, I focused on their wrist and saw still the tan line of where their watch was mm. or a tattoo or something that, you know, reminded me that they had a story, I found it very difficult then to dissect. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of my friends in our, in our third year when we were dissecting the, the head and neck it was is quite um, challenging and my friend didn't help by opening the cadaver's eye as I was dissecting at the cheek and and I don't know it, it kind of kind of got to me I got you know the odd nightmare about it um, 
but yeah I mean it was it was just something you you kind of just accepted was part of that medical student experience Mm. Um, and I'm not sure how useful it was I mean of course it and dissection really helps to uh, understand anatomy on a a spatial level where textbooks just don't describe that Um, but actually prosection probably do that job better so spending three hours dissecting really badly the brachial plexus or something uh, and then being told well what is this um, you know it's like you've gone at it with <laughs> like it looks like a bad dinner you know um, I, I don't know how if me if it really was more the agenda of the medical school to try and do that very thing of just separating you out from mm. the normality you know of, and having that that kind of more heightened position or I mean it's a wonderful opportunity as well I mean very rarely in any other sphere would you have that exposure to to death and dying and for it to become normalized and I think that is good I like I I think I, I value the fact that I view death and dying with a much healthier attitude compared to my friends that are in a non-medical profession Mm. so yeah yeah Yeah, I mean I I, you know me coming from the Iraqi background we we see dead bodies all the time so for me going into Mm. the like dissection room was yep you know another day in the office kind of thing so um, for others it's um you know much more harrowing um Mm -hmm. You know, the counter argument is that you are going to you know, step into a very, very difficult work environment, you know. Yeah. And you'll, you know, you'll be seeing dead bodies, uh, you know, uh-huh. luckily not as often as. Uh, but now with the COVID situation, you know, the things are very, um, very heightened in terms of mm. uh, death and disability. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, I, I, I mean, I'm interested. You, you've got dead bodies here, and that kind of shocked you a bit. You know, why are you going towards zombies? Because I mean, I'll be honest with you. You know, I'll be honest with you. I love the zombie genre, and I think zombies are wonderful. You know, because uh-huh. you know they're so uh, single-mindedness. They're so clear-headed. They've got a single goal in life, and they're very successful <laughs> at what they do. Yeah, they're. They really are values to uphold, aren't they? Yeah, true. You know, they're very successful <laughs> and they just keep going for it and eventually they get there. And I think, wow, that's the trouble. So, so uncomplicated. Whereas a human being is mm. just so complicated. God knows what's going on inside the head. Yeah. yeah so, you know, how yeah. can you have something against zombies, you know, calling your whole organization? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of that sort of the the aspect of a zombie being completely unconscious and in pursuit of of one goal isn't it and that one goal being attainment of something at a later point you know i you know i'm I'm consciously going through my career because at some point i might actually find it fulfilling and that unfortunately never really works you know if you're spending four years in a in a training program that takes everything away from you expecting that uh, after those four years you're going to um, feel suddenly hugely fulfilled in, in something you know that moment's just not going to come 
because now you've trained your mindset to, to be in that kind of not in the present moment but thinking about attaining something that's missing right now so you yeah. always have that that feeling of missing something so yeah but yeah zombies aren't uh sexy um but that's that's come on there's a few nice looking ones come on you know and <laughs> you know they're up for it sometimes yeah well, yeah true. well they're up they're for it all the time <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> Weird. I think I think kind of yeah. I think drawing attention to the ugliness of that side of of medicine is quite quite good. So sort of saying, you know, we're all medic zombies. It can feel like an insult, but actually, just I think a lot of people resonate with the fact that oh yeah, I do feel actually like a bit of a a lifeless human in this. I'm very passively going through this whole experience. Uh, and actually just calling it out so not only in the individual but in the whole system and how deeply unconscious the system is to our wants and needs and the patient's wants and needs and it's all kind of a bit backwards and how we're trying to to deal with it when did you feel or when did you realize that you were turning into a, a medical zombie i think it was after uh qualifying uh when i was committing to do committing to doing lots I felt like in order to achieve I needed to spin more plates so not only was I doing foundation years I was also being a, a lecturer for a, a medical finals company um, setting up a program with the BMA in, in London and thinking that's how I was attaining success in my mind but actually it was slowly eating away at my ability to be and be there for my patients. So particularly in FY2, uh, I went from the frying pan into the fire, uh, going from hospital at home, which is quite a little cushy uh, uh, job position where you drive around to biddies and in, in their in their houses, and it's you're providing uh, medical care there, to suddenly being in the intensive care unit and just um, kind of being overwhelmed by the the misery in there uh, and it, it led me to uh, as a sort of protective mechanism shutting off the humanity in it uh, so actually I felt that my resilience had to come from uh, sort of shutting off and that's a bad thing in a doctor-patient relationship when you're 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 trying to protect yourself by feeling the pain of the other persons because you don't you're already feeling quite a lot of pain in yourself um, so that was probably the first point I I, I wasn't and again this is the thing I was I was I didn't have any real insight to that it's only now retrospectively thinking oh, actually I was quite um, uh, unconscious and burning out a little at that point and and thinking back what would have you done differently now that you've experienced what you've experienced in in life? Right. Bear with me. Technical issues with my iPad falling off there. Um, I think I probably, hang on, you can edit this bit out. <laughs> I'm, I'm currently, this iPad is perched on a picture frame. A bit like, a, a bit like an FY2, isn't it? 
Yes, very. Apt. Hey, hey, you know, I, I'm not having to go at any FY2s. I'm, I'm just uh, being in awe of your uh, um, absolutely, you know, amazing work that you do. I, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, yeah, no, true. Well, I think in, in answer to, to your question, I probably wouldn't have tried to spin to spin as many plates. I think that's that's simply it. Like actually um, appreciating the fact that just getting through foundation years is quite challenging. Uh, I'm probably speaking out more. Uh, I was living on my own at the time, and I would just take up the weight of all this back home, and I would just sort of ruminate about it for for hours, without really thinking about meeting up with friends I was quite happy and wallowing in it a little bit there's something I don't know it's I don't know if it's quite a Scottish thing to do uh, just to be quite happy being unhappy uh, in some ways well the whiskey helps the whiskey definitely helps especially if it's a good single malt um, <laughs> so, yeah I don't know um, but but then partly I know I've been talking about this a lot recently and actually I'm really, really grateful that I had such low points and I'm glad that I had them and I think they were important to have in redefining what it meant to me to, to be in this profession. Um, and they've been far more character defining than any moment where it's been, you know, pleasurable. You know, like when I was in New Zealand and going on weekend trips surfing and skiing it was pleasurable it didn't tell me oh okay i'm just you know what <laughs> this this setup doesn't work i'm gonna sit down <laughs> are you are you doing like the standing kind of you must stand yeah, yeah. at the desk kind of bs it's exactly. a swedish thing mate yeah. it's, it's it's definitely like it's, it's rubbing swedish off thing. on me it's rubbing off on me <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah the, the sort of uh Yes, those experiences in New Zealand and stuff were really pleasurable, uh, but they, they they didn't make me a better doctor necessarily. So, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, um, I mean, I experienced um, not a prolonged but sort of a significant uh, amount of time of suicide. You know, thoughts of suicide, and you know, uh, not actually going through with it. Um, and really, if I didn't experience that, that, that experience, I wouldn't understand, um, clients that come to me with these problems. And, and mm. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't call them problems. I call them experiences, you know, cause it's not yeah. actually, um, uh, a problem. I mean, it's a problem for society. So society defines yeah. problems, but as us, yeah. uh, human beings experiencing it, it's called experiences for us, but then we call it problems because society you know, changes our mind about it. Yeah, and we're, we're so quick to label it as either a good or a bad experience. And, you know, labeling and is a really society unhealthy. label rather than mm. a personal label. Mm -hmm. You know, so it does become uh, an imposed uh, definition or a story. Yeah, and it, it's easy to, to feel quite abnormal to, to then have those feelings of, of profound loneliness or isolation uh, and yeah when when I would have some days off I would spend a lot of it 
inside and when I would come out outside I'd feel just kind of completely dazed uh, kind of reacting very acutely to really benign situations which did nothing to to help me think that you know I would dread a, a recess situation because there was times where I felt like even going into a, a, a shop was anxiety provoking you know it's mad uh, and how how can you have a clinician that that is that sort of fried brain fried who's how are they going to deal with the pressures of a, a, a resuscitation or anything like that um and i feel it's it's something is we sort of bear that burden very personally and, and hide away from uh, accepting it a lot uh and i i don't know yeah, the, the sort of public perception has to change. The society's perception of, of what it means to have this, you know, it's important to have a diversity of human emotions and sadness is yeah. just as important as happiness. And I think but we still still have this very stigmatized view yeah. of the need for sadness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's coming through now with, with the current pandemic situation, you know, the public are Definitely. seeing the humanity of of these so-called uh, you know strong pillars of society i.e doctors and you know mm. they are falling away by uh, by the wayside yeah and uh, people are realizing oh they're they're human beings and and you know they they need our support as much as we need their support mm. um you know given that we've got social media it's much more open and people can say whatever they want well, actually, they can't because of all this cancel culture and so on. But then, you know, you've got to develop thick skin, raise your voice and say what's what's inside of you, because that's yeah. you know, that's what defines us as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I point to uh, in the midst of my CMT being the first point that I was brave enough to to really call it out and say I can't I can't do this and it and it wasn't uh, a breakthrough moment it was just a sort of collapse of of confidence uh, which again was triggered by uh, feeling a, a little bit overwhelmed and uh, it was during a, a difficult resuscitation of a young person we weren't able to resuscitate them and it wasn't that I felt necessarily upset by that experience it was that I was conscious of the fact that I didn't really feel anything and I thought oh that that's a bit that's not right I should feel bad but the, the, the sort of candle flame just kind of flickered out at that point and I was just very much a medic zombie very uh, much just dragging myself into work and doing the deeds but um it was only towards the end of my CMT one uh, where I had my supervisor going through my portfolio as part of my portfolio review. He was seeing that actually it was devoid of any um, any work. Pretty much since that point of having that difficult resuscitation, I just um, dropped the mic on the whole thing. Uh, and he was surprised because prior to that, you know, it was a glowing CMT one year, um, lots of reflections and, and. Could you remind me what CMT from, means? From staff. 
sorry it's a core medical training right yeah so it's the the preamble to your medical registrar years right. uh, even more stress and, <laughs> yeah uh-huh, i know and so that that was the thing so i went into cmt i kind of felt like i fell into it because i didn't i had this maybe outside external expectation i should know exactly what to go into and i got to the, towards the end of fy2 with no real clarity i went so then went into a clinical teaching fellowship job and then felt again towards the end of that this pressure to finally find the thing that i'm going to do for 30 years and you know it always it often feels like that and you've got this whole weight <laughs> on your shoulders there um and yeah so to be in the, the middle of cmt and realize the the flames out and this is this light at the end of the tunnel seems so far away. And what is that light at the end of the tunnel? Becoming a medical registrar? Oh, no. Becoming a consultant in, in a field that I don't know what I want to be in? No, this just sounds awful. Um, so, you know, I was kind of, I kind of brought that conversation into the fore with my supervisor. He was very surprised that uh, I had doubts about my training. And he thought, right, how can we help you continue you know so he was quite close-minded into how he thought his role was so rather than being more pastoral it was um proactively thinking how are we going to make it to your cmt to how are you going to pass yeah whereas i think actually what i needed to hear was there are options beyond this training it is possible to resign and I didn't even consider resigning a possibility until I worked a locum, a shift with a locum doctor. And he said, you know what? It just sounds like you need to bow out here. Why go into a, a second year of a training program that's not fulfilling anything for you and you feel... Well, that's killing you, you don't really. Feel yeah, yeah, it was. It was yeah. slowly but surely. And and after that point, I, I really fell back into medicine because I fell back in love with medicine because I started locuming. I was able to define my hours, how I worked, when I worked. Uh, and that, you know, so working Monday to Friday, nine to five job. I was able to see my friends again. I was able to meet my Swedish girlfriend and develop that relationship. And now she's my fiance. And I think if I'd gone into the role of being a medical registrar beyond that, no chance, uh, you know, and then, just developed a really full and diverse life and you know brought into life the medisome concept feeling that very palpably the the sort of the wrongs of of the training world and I went to New Zealand was a medical registrar there we'll just skim past that uh, <laughs> But you know, and then, um, yeah. a medical registrar in New Zealand is different from a medical registrar in in a, in a really it busy, hugely, yeah, hugely hospital. different. Yeah, because you can still bring you to work because the the culture in the New Zealand uh, uh, hospitals is much more of collaboration rather than competition. Uh, so I felt and didn't feel the need to have my please and thank yous in New Zealand. I felt, you know, I didn't feel confined into this rigid perception of what I felt a medical registrar should be. I just turned up as Ross 
and sexy en- Ross. Engage- yeah, sexy Ross, if you if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and patients seem to like that, you know, the fact that I was, you know, um, oh, the sexy Dr. Ross is here. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, what you needed yeah. at the time was was a supportive voice at the time of your yeah. despair. And if you would have got uh-huh. that supportive voice, your trajectory would have been totally different. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, but again, int- again, yeah, again go grateful for that. And so, yeah, just again, grateful. Um, and I think that's the, the, the thing that, yes, in the midst and the heat and the, of all that, it felt like what what hope is there in this what good is going to come out of this but now again can say that's when i was learning the most about myself yeah and readjusting to becoming more resilient to not allow that to happen in the future you know yeah i mean my point of that is that some people are not as lucky as me and you and sort of find the light some people just keep going into the darkness and eventually you know, um, have mental distress or suicide or, you know, they don't come out of it. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's the, you know, one of the consequences or one of the risks, um, you know, if our resource structure is not is not supportive enough or not humane enough. And that's yeah. something that I hope that the, that the medical leadership take into account um, yeah. seriously. Um, and I think it's even more of a possibility of reaching those true real crisis points in a pandemic world particularly you know our ICU colleagues mm. who are expressing huge high levels of burnout so yeah I mean the last yeah. thing they need is you know what can we do for you to keep you going you know that's the last thing mm. they want to hear <laughs> yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah you know coming back to your word of a pastor you know because that's a really um, powerful word and it's something mm-hmm. that you've um, uh, been, let's say, uh, swimming in, because your dad was a pastor. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, he uh, was a, a minister, uh, in the Protestant, uh, Protestant church, uh, up until uh, I think how old was he? Yeah, maybe mid mid 40s and then he saw the light and became became a co- computer software engineer instead. oh the computer lights so he, he saw like, the computer lights yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that that was a really like i really valued that experience of growing up in faith uh, in terms of the fact that i was exposed to different generations different backgrounds and i think that po- did have a bearing in my ability to to ease to I feel easily talk with whoever because I wasn't afraid of speaking to an old person or or whatever um and sort of seeing that important pillar in society someone that that would be at the hospital bedside you know dad would be called out to hospital to to say you know well I don't know if it is the last rites in protestant faith or not um but whatever you know providing some sort of spiritual component to um someone's experience of dying and i i kind of hugely respected that um yeah so i think that sort of pastoral element has come through in in what i do 
um, in all my teaching roles I've had, I've, I think the thing that I've enjoyed most is being able to offer some insight to the students or whatever into really what their perspective is on the whole medical career field and making sure that it's uh, they're considering it from what their real values are, what they consider their purpose to be or not be. So. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. And, you know, the other advantage is you can talk about religion and there's um, a mm. massive subset of the population who don't talk about religion because they consider it a hot potato. But really, yeah, you know, the early forms of philosophy in, in, in human history was religion. It's a form mm. of philosophy. Mm. And I yeah. think the more you um, philosophize in life, the better. I mean, you know, that's the saying in, in marriage, you know, the longer you... The longer you are married, the better philosopher you become. And mm -hmm. I think that's yes. really, uh, you know, just just to give you a bit of advice, you know, given that you know, sort of starting your uh, journey in in long term relationships, <laughs> yeah, you become uh, better uh, at philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> you really got to phone in and the, the yeah on all that definitely <laughs> all the deep stuff, you know, none of the superficial yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's it. I, I mean, I, I maybe don't bring in uh, religious aspects to to a lot of my work, but there is definitely a spiritual component. Like I remember when I was working as a, a locum middle grade up in the Highlands, there was this uh, uh, guy, a middle-aged guy with uh, alcoholic cirrhosis who was slowly but surely dying with um, uh uh, needing lots of paracentesis almost weekly and it was a really sort of sad situation to see and he was really scared by the concept of of death and I don't and no one had uh, I think we'd been seeing it through the lens of as doctors thinking right he needs um he needs his uh ascites drained weekly I was like well actually this is just his life now. He just comes week on week and then he'll get a complication. Then he gets a pneumonia. Then he's a little bit worse. What's his quality of life here? Uh, and his family had no uh, insight into the fact that this really was looking quite bleak. Uh, you know, members of his family were saying, you can still get a liver transplant. You know, you just need to. Um, so it was really heartbreaking. But actually I shared with him, uh, uh, an, an episode, I, I gave him my uh, iPod, I remember, um, which had uh, John O'Donoghue uh, recording on it. And he's like this Irish, he was an Irish mystic philosopher. He unfortunately died uh, last decade and in his 50s from cancer. But he talks really poetically and succinctly about the the journey of, of dying and and he really appreciated that um, just in the in the dark of night in the, in the in the hospital ward when there's six other patients coughing and spluttering to just hear words of comfort and beauty and poetry uh, that you know is it often it's just devoid of any sort of that hospital experience is just horrible. Yeah. Uh, so he, you know, I think it. And I felt, I felt, you know, really kind of elated in myself and, you know, like kind of redefining the concept of what my role should be and as a caregiver and also as, 
a provider of, of ways through things. And, and that's the beauty of medicine. It, it can be, if you want it to be, it, it, it doesn't have to be pill pushing uh, all the time. Uh, it can be about recognizing what the needs of a person is, and that might be spiritual or otherwise yeah yeah and you know if you look at the history of of our forefathers in terms of the me- in terms of the medical profession you know they were philosophers and 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 and, sp- and spiritual people um and linguistic uh, individuals as well as anatomical and physiological and pathological and i think you mm. know separating the two has its disadvantages, which is what we're seeing now, you know, where, where our hospitals are sterile and clinical and, you yeah. know, devoid of, of that importance of uh, giving solace to our patients. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that is important. I mean, I come from a very religious background and, and my conflict was, I thought, no, you know, I, I need to be scientific about this. I need to be academic about this. I need to be very um, logical and rational about this, which got me to a certain extent. But I found that I needed to go beyond the uh, the sensical and into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't call it nonsensical, but it's but it's metaphysical, and you know, me- metaphysical mm-hmm. is so much faster than the than the physical. I mean, you just have to look at the universe. Most of it is yeah. made of what they call dark matter mm-hmm. rather than matter. I mean, what's yeah. that about? You know, we don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. And, you know, this whole thing about the immune system. I mean, I don't know about you, but one of the most difficult, the two difficult topics that I had difficulty with in medical school was neurology and immunology. Mm-hmm. Because the professors didn't really have a clue. And they'd overcomplicate things. And now we're, we're going through a pandemic and no one knows what's going on. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's all yeah, a bit of a mess, really. You know, science is not really <laughs> giving us the answers. Uh, no. And the pandemic, again, it's one of those things you can't you can't label it as good or bad. And and obviously so much about the pandemic is bad, but through that, it's really kind of brought to to the fore the a lot of the it's catalyzed a lot of things um exposed a lot of things it's like a you know it's like a sepsis it's like showing the the diseases like the the you know the health inequalities the poor government the um the the lack of pastoral support for doctors particularly uh, and actually you know, it, it's it's comforting to see now when I go on to my weekly training uh, email, there's a huge amount of uh, resources there for for trainees about emotional well-being, uh, referring self-referring to psychological services. I think that's a, a huge positive change uh, and a really unexpected one. Uh, so I, I'm like really pleased to see that just being normalised. And even in the emergency department, uh, in our morning handovers at the at the end of the handover, uh, they 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 just make the point. The, the ED consultants will make the, the point of sort of signing out when you finish your shift and think about one good thing that's happened, 
one one uh, you know check up on a colleague so the i think there are definite uh major progressions that have been helped along by this horrible situation that we're in so yeah i mean you know that's the power of of human adaptability and human evolution i think you know the more uh, strains that are put on us a lot of people do actually get stronger um mm-hmm. you know if you know as you said if you're aware of it you know if you're conscious of it it's a yeah. conscious process uh-huh yeah which is which is i think what ultimately med, my my concept for medazom is about is kind of being comical about it and saying look we're all medic zombies yeah. we're in the middle of a medic zombie apocalypse we're all yeah. kind of shuffling along uh, and um you know i think but some of us are more sexier than others of course some yes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and you you know i mean the sexiness comes out when you're when you're yourself and, yeah when you're yourself <laughs> uh, i mean i think i'm i'm happy to just be me but if you if you were talking to me three years ago yeah um you know i'd be a sort of blubbering idiot because yeah. i was just kind of yeah it wasn't you didn't know who was, i was or what my yeah. didn't know what my role was or i mean i still don't know what my role is and i think that's 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 kind of it's kind of loving that it's because yeah. there's less of an ego there now yeah like i don't yeah. see that i've got some sort of uh defining purpose and uh, just you know i i just take more time to to not constantly do i think that's really hard to stop doing in a pandemic because you always feel like well i, I want to keep busying myself because i don't yeah. want to think about the emotions running underneath that but actually having a, a time to have a to be list whether like um having a nice hot bath and just listening to some music or or reading a book and just the simple pleasures and how great those are without like feeling the need to be on linkedin all the time or yeah, <laughs> social yeah, media yeah. all the time and yeah so yeah no i mean i you know i absolutely agree with you you know uh, i've stopped doing you know the whole rat race of of marketing and da 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 and this and that and the other and and, and just doing it because because you know it's the right thing to do for yourself mm-hmm. and you know you're not you're not voluntarily harming people yeah um or harming yourself i mean you can harm yourself i mean there's nothing with harming yourself you know there's a whole masochistic movement and and sort of good luck to them sort of thing mm. um mm-hmm. but hey you know horses for courses as they say yeah i feel like my my harming myself situation it didn't come in the way of like drugs and alcohol and you know or like uh prostitutes or <laughs> something like that for me it was like watching loads of youtube videos like yeah. really dumb videos I, i'd spend hours like when i was feeling like particularly bad you know i wouldn't get up in the mornings i get up at like 11 12 o'clock having watched three hours of blooper reels or um just because it was like that little dopamine pleasure trickle coming into my brain that was just yeah. enough to numb the the pain yeah that was there kind of horrible isn't it 
So, so, so who helped you? I mean, was it, was it your lovely girlfriend that kind of got you to see yourself again or what, what, what sort of got you out of, what was the biggest thing mm. that lifted you out of the, the swamp? I've been in the swamp quite a few times, you know, so, you know, that, that core what works for thing, you, you know, lifting you out of the swamp, yeah. what works for you? Uh-huh. Well, it has been different things at different times. And, and the first time uh, my girlfriend wasn't in my life. Um, and I think certainly that is a contributing factor to, to have someone that, that loves you and, and, and fulfilling more things where you're displaying love to someone else on a, a regular basis is, is really helpful as well and it's made the pandemic so much easier because there's been times where I was in the midst of training which felt far lonelier than the pandemic ever did which is kind of ironic um I think more than anything it was taking action and it sounds so cliched but uh like when even like so getting properly honest here I I went to my GP and because uh, I, I was at a loss to what to do and I was put on some sertraline. I took it for a week. I decided like it, it done, I did the job. I was suddenly being able to cycle at five in the morning. And of course, it had nothing to do with that. Like, you know, an SSRI or any antidepressant doesn't have any uh, effect within a week. But I think it was it was just solely that act of feeling like I was doing something to change what I was doing that was the first sort of domino step in 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 progression so then I was exercising more and I think if you can ensure a healthier body it helps ensure a healthier mind uh, and then you know actually last year was a huge kind of difficult transition I uh, just after three or four years of uh, being a locum doctor, it's a very uh, solitary position. You're never really part of a team. And that kind of got to me in the midst of, of COVID. I actually got some counselling. And, and that was, I just wish I kind of done that so much sooner. Because, uh, and again, I, I'm trying to talk about it really casually because it actually should be something that's like, this, you know, like how we get personal training when we're not getting our achievements with with our body when we're working out well have someone that's got 20 years of experience and how to like challenge your your thoughts and it's meant that i've not felt like i need to have all these conditions to functioning as a human being or being happy or or even that happiness is the thing i should be attaining um which meant, you know, having that element of counselling before starting six months in ED in the midst of a pandemic were actually amazing. I, I loved the experience. Um, and I don't think without having that challenge of who I was or, or what my sort of perfectionist tendencies were doing or not allowing me to do, um, without challenging that, I'd, I would have hated ED. Um, so I think it's, yeah, so in summary, I think it's a combination of ensuring physical well-being, getting out in nature, simply doing a little bit and being quite forgiving with yourself and seeking help, be it in your support network or professionally, 
uh, and I think at last access to those professional bodies is becoming more commonplace uh, and more expected. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, these drugs don't have agency. It's you that has agency. Mm. You know, you decided they, that, they that... numb you and, and they kind of get you below thought a lot of the time. You know, that's something that uh, Eckhart Tolle says, okay, he's my spiritual guru for sure. But all these things, TV, alcohol, drugs, antidepressants, they, they get you below the level of thought. And actually what you want to do is challenge those thoughts or even get above it to a point of mindfulness and presence and, and allowing those thoughts to be there, but not engaging with them in a way that says that they're true fact and that you have to believe every thought that comes swimming into your mind so, yeah yeah in the position of spirit and you know we're all connected in spirit really um we're separated in mind to a certain extent and definitely in body but in spirit we understand the human spirit you know mm. heard of lots of narratives of the human spirit overcoming all adversity mm -hmm. You know, and that gets us, be, you know, it's not a logical thing. It's not a cognitive thing. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. But hey, you know, I'm biased because it's a surgical spirit, isn't it? You know, it's yeah, yeah. Proper bias. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's totally true. Because then once you can sort of, you can broaden out that perspective of, of everything being about you um, and just bringing a quality to your work, which is more, so perceptive of everyone else's being it's it's really freeing because suddenly that that sort of huge spotlight that might be on you and how you're being perceived is you know thinking about oh what what's their jam why why is that consultant shouting to that junior and you you can kind of figure out their uh where they are in their level of consciousness yeah. if they're completely you know unconscious to the fact that they're their words are um, unhelpful or, or and, and and then you can forgive them because yeah. it's, it's saying well they you know forgive them for they know not what they do kind of thing it's yeah. like yeah these are all spiritual you know concepts just like yeah. when when, yeah. when when we started i'm jealous of you which is totally spiritual i'm sort of i'm still jealous of you but i'm working on that obviously i'm not <laughs> going to tell you that everything else you know because i've got such a big ego and that's okay yeah um yeah so what's your i mean you know let's because we've been for an hour you know we we could really talk for a lot longer and and we'll, you know mm. maybe we can do this again at some stage um so what would your, your advice be to to um uh, the people who are listening to this are, are sort of doctors that have um young children who want to go into medicine and mm. and and obviously <clears throat> these doctors trained in medicine in a different uh, era <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh -huh. and in a different time and they've got young you know uh, young adults now who are about to go into medicine what would um, what would your advice be to them hmm. i think it's not to rush i think it's i don't think it served me well to go immediately from from high school to straight into university 
to then be at the point where at the age of 22, 23, being thrust into really challenging circumstances. For some people, it, it's absolutely the right thing. And, uh, you know, they, they've got the right uh, head on their shoulders to, to deal with the, uh, the, the great difficulty that comes with that responsibility for a human's, a human's life. But I think that is the exception to the rule. There are far more many people that could do themselves a lot of service by traveling when pandemic doesn't isn't here um, of of considering different industries as well. Uh, you know, I think some of the best doctors out there are ones that have come from different industries first um, who haven't just thought of, well, I've got the grades, so either I'm going to be a lawyer. Or a doctor, you know. It's. I, I hope we're getting away from schools, career uh, departments, kind of saying that as the as a be all and end all. Uh, but really doing something that that chimes into to who you are, and and not being forced and feeling any sort of external pressure. So the the. The fundamental reason for going into medicine shouldn't be because there's parent expectation. I think that's just setting yourself up for a complete failure and potentially, you know, disaster for patients if, if that is your only reason and you feel resentful in some way for the position that you're in. Uh, so, yeah, trying to keep, keep the answer simple, I think it, it is just gaining as much life experience as you can and ensuring that the, the origins for your reason for choosing medicine are deep and not from a, an external source. It has to come from really within. And I definitely felt I had that having done, I did, I did work for um, cooking for the homeless before going to, to school. Uh, I was a healthcare assistant between the ages of 16 to 22. So even going into to medical school, I kept that going and would do that in the holidays. And that's not to sound like Miss Universe. It's just that, you know, I'm, I was, I, I kind of knew from my dad and from uh, just kind of getting my kicks from <laughs> helping others. And it, I, I knew it was for me. So if, if, you, if your intention is good enough, then you can do it from a young age. Um, yeah, it's all about intention, I guess. Wonderful. It's been a great pleasure speaking to you, uh, sexy Dr. Ross. And um... <laughs> I think next time I'm going to have to keep my video off for you, you know? <laughs> yeah, get me aroused even more. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Increase my arousal. Like That's not I, fair, actually. Yeah. No. But then when, you when know, I'm talking to you, it does feel like you are the enlightened one as I'm seeing the aurora glowing behind you. It, oh, it's, it's like a I'm... trick, mate. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a cheap trick. <laughs> yeah, well, it works. <laughs> it's a cheap trick. Thank you so much, mate. It's been a pleasure. All right. No worries. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you.